10, starting at verse 25. It goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop right there for just, just for a second. When we hear eternal life, what do we think of? We think like we die and then, we, and then that's where eternal life is, right? He's not talking about that. He's asking the question, how do I live the kind of life right now that God intends for us to live? It's, it's literally life of the ages. Like this is what, I wanna live the kind of life that God intended every human being to experience here now. Now, it would include later too, but that's what he's getting at, okay? How do I, what must I do to live that kind of life, he asks. Well, what is written in the law, replied Jesus. How do you read it? Which is, he's giving respect to the guy. He's like, you should be able to figure this out. You've got Torah, you've got the Bible. Tell me, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live right here. You will experience that kind of life right now. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because there's some people in the world that I'm kind of like, I don't know about those people. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Huh. <laughs> so we've been talking about questions for three weeks. We've been doing this thing, right? This guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to experience the kind of life that, that God intends for all? all of humanity to experience, where everybody has what they need to flourish. What, how, what must I do to experience that? Because that's what I want, and that's what everyone really wants. It's a great question, right? All kinds of good questions. Questions are great. They change us, they mold us, they probe us, they, they, uh, they inspire us to think about life differently. Depending on how you answer different questions, it can change the the entire trajectory of your life. We've been asking and answering several questions around here, three of them. The first one was, who are we? We looked at Romans chapter 12, and Paul gives us these things that we talked about, that we ought to be a community marked by oneness. We ought to be a, a community that, 
that acts and, and lives into this idea that we are a family, like we're blood-related, even though we're not blood-related. We're family that close. We are to be a people marked by selflessness. In this world, we're to be a people marked by selflessness. We're to be a people marked by radical love, the same kind of radical love that Jesus showed us, not just when he gave his life on a cross, but every single day. Just read about his life in the New Testament, every single day, a radical love, right? In other words, we look like Jesus, right? Here's the next question we answered. What are we to do? And Jesus's answer is simple. Go, get up, get out of here. Start giving your lives away. Experience the danger of the journey and shared mission together. And along the way, guess what? That's when you'll be formed into a people, who are one, like a family. As you experience that danger, that shared mission together, that's when you'll learn how to be selfless with one another. That's when you'll learn how to radically love one another because you'll need to in order to survive. Go, get up, get out of here, serve. Join me in what I'm doing in the world. So now we come to the third question. And if we use our brains, we'll come up with all sorts of really good questions that make sense next, like this one. Well, if we are to go, where are we going? Like, that's a good question. That's a great question. It's a, it's a necessary question. If we're going to go somewhere, we have to know where it is that we're going, right? But that's a question that we only come up with if we use our brains. If we also use our hearts, we come up with the, the correct question. The next question, who is our neighbor? That's the real next question. Before we answer the where are we going question, we have to answer the who is our neighbor question. Before we figure out the where, we have to figure out the whom. You see, our faith is less about destination and more about relationship. Right? This following Jesus thing has been and always will be about relationships, always at the core relationship with God, relationship with other, with other God-made very good human beings. Who is our neighbor? Oh, it's such a good question. One day, a lawyer found this radical rabbi named Jesus, and he asked him what he had to do to inherit eternal life. What, what do I have to do to live the kind of life that God wants me to live and wants all human beings to experience deep, meaningful life. And Jesus says, you're a, you're a lawyer. <laughs> you're an expert in the law. You know the scriptures. How do you read it? What do, what do you think it says? Of course, the guy did know the law. He knew the law of Moses. He knew, he knew Torah. So he quoted it. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good, Jesus said. Right? You've answered correctly. Do this, do those things, and you will experience the kind of deep and meaningful life that God wants you to experience right here, right now. But that wasn't good enough for the lawyer. Right? He so, so he said to Jesus, I want to make sure that we have our terms right. I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing, that we understand each other. So what do you mean by neighbor? Because we all have people in our lives who are like, nah, I don't know if I want to be their neighbor. Do you have people in your life? You're like, I don't know about those people. So Jesus told him a story about a man who was traveling to Jericho. 
and he's mugged by robbers. He's stripped of his clothes. He's beaten and he's left bleeding to death on the side of the road, right? There he is in serious, life-threatening trouble, desperately in need of help. Now, two of the craziest things happen in this story that Jesus tells. The first bit of craziness is that there are two people who could have helped, probably would have been expected to help, religious people, good people like you and me. They did absolutely nothing. In fact, Jesus is careful to make sure that we understand they saw him, they looked at him, and they passed by on what side of the road? The other side of the road, completely, totally avoiding the situation. The second bit of craziness is that the one who does stop and help is the last person in the world we would think would stop and help. And this guy doesn't just stop to help. He bravely rescues the guy, pays for his healing, bravely rescues the guy because he has no idea how long he's been bleeding on the side of the road. Those robbers could be just around the next bend. So he bravely rescues the guy, brings him to an inn, pays generously for his healing and says, I'll reimburse you for any other expenses once I get back. Along down the road, Jesus said, comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Jesus, you've heard the story before. Jesus is Jewish. Right? The lawyer he's talking to is Jewish. In fact, almost all the characters in the story that Jesus tells, they're all Jewish. The priest is Jewish. The Levite is Jewish. The guy probably bleeding on the side of the road is Jewish. Possibly even the robbers are all Jewish. So here comes this Samaritan. Now Samaritan and Samaritans and Jews have a long history of racial and religious hatred toward one another, right? They're enemies, right? If the guy on the side of the road is a Republican, here comes a Democrat or flip-flop it or think of it this way. A Samaritan would have been seen as, I don't know, a member of, ISIS might be a little extreme, but you get the idea. Right? In fact, not only would the Jew expect, would not only would he not want to be, not only would the Jew not expect to be helped by a Samaritan, would expect the Samaritan to just pass on by, but he probably wouldn't want it either. Better to die in a pool of blood on the side of the road than to be touched by a Samaritan, Right? Here comes a Samaritan, despised, rejected, hated. He's the one who's moved by compassion and mercy, and he shows him compassion and mercy. After the story was done, Jesus asked the lawyer, so who do you think was the neighbor? Which of the three? Who was the neighbor? The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the words, the Samaritan. He couldn't even spit that out of his mouth. He's like, the guy who showed mercy, right? The guy who showed mercy. And then Jesus said, go, do that. Go, do likewise. Go, be that kind of human. One of the greatest stories ever told. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh my goodness. It's a parable that is so beautiful and so perfect in so many different ways, all layered on top of each other. But part of the message of the parable of the Good Samaritan is answering that question. Who is our neighbor? Anyone who's lost, anyone who's hurt, anyone who's helpless, anyone who's broken, anyone who's bleeding on the side of the road, even our enemies. That, of course, what does that mean? It means that everyone. Part of the message is that everyone is our neighbor. Everyone. Because friends, the whole world is full of people who are our neighbors. Because the one thing that we all have in common with every other person on the planet is that we're all a little lost. We're all a little helpless. We're all a little broken. We're all a little hurt. We're all a little bit bleeding on the side of the road, if we're honest about ourselves. Strike that we're all a lot hurt, a lot helpless, a lot bleeding on the side of the road. Totally levels the plane. Complete. A rabbi is said to have once asked his students, when can we know that the night has ended and the day has begun? Good question. One of his students replied by saying, is it when you can tell the difference between a fig tree and an olive tree? And the rabbi said, no. And then another student offered another question. Is it when you can tell the difference between a sheep and a dog? And the rabbi said, no. And they're like, when can you tell when the night has ended and the day has begun? And the rabbi replied by saying, it's that moment when you can look into the face never seen before and see in the face of a stranger, a brother or a sister. It's when you can look into the face of an enemy and you can recognize the face of a brother or a sister. Until that moment, no matter how bright the day, it's still the night. Leonard Sweet once wrote, light illumines the darkness. If there's darkness, the blame should be attached where it belongs. Not to the world that is dark, but to the church, which is failing to provide the light. Light illumines the darkness. If there is darkness, the blame should be attached where it belongs. Not to the world that is dark, but to the church which is failing to provide the light. So good. Who is our neighbor? Anyone who's lost, hurt, helpless, broken, bleeding. Who is our neighbor? Anyone. Anyone living in darkness. Who is our neighbor? Every other God-made, very good human being on the planet. So we've got the whom. And the whom, again, breaks down every single artificial barrier that we set up to separate ourselves from other people. Racial, social, ethnic, political, sickness, geographical. Every single barrier gone. 
The whom includes everybody, the whole world. Now, now, now we can move to the where. In fact, the who is our neighbor answer answers the where do we go question, literally into the whole world. So notice what Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. This is from Acts chapter one um, towards verses seven and eight, right? No, don't notice just what it is he's saying, but the nature of what it is he's saying, okay? He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pretty all-inclusive, wouldn't you say? To the ends of the earth means the ends of the earth. Pretty all-world encompassing, wouldn't you say? So it begins in the city, Jerusalem, and then it sort of gains momentum and expands outward to the surrounding areas, Judea, Samaria. And then the momentum becomes so strong that it becomes unstoppable and it finally expands and it covers the entire planet, the ends of the earth. So this is like virus. It's like a viral-like movement. It starts small, spreads a little more, spreads a little more, and then all of a sudden the whole world is infected. It's, it's like a virus, right? I was thinking about this. Where have we experienced that viral-like movement? And I started thinking about literal viruses. Do you, how many of you remember the swine flu? Remember the swine flu? We were so freaked out about that. Like first we heard about this new flu called the swine flu. And we, it was just this new thing. And we're like, we're fine. No big deal. And then we heard some, some people down in Mexico, got infe- some people got infected with this new thing called swine flu. And we're like, it's down in Mexico. We're fine. And then a couple of weeks later, there were a couple of schools and a couple of hundred students in the United States that had been infected with swine flu. And I remember thinking, it's fine at the time. I lived in Michigan, but I had small children and I was kind of worried about it, but it was down there. It was far away. I don't remember what state it was in, but then, then the next week, then there were several other states and then the next week, several other states. And then all of a sudden, like every single state had been hit with the swine flu and I was freaked out for my own kids and the whole nation was really worried. And soon it covered the whole world and every major population spot around the whole world had experienced the swine flu. If there's one thing, one good thing that epidemic did for us is it made us realize that the whole world is our neighbor because that thing spread to the whole world within a matter of months. And when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying that the gospel is like swine flu. <laughs> Except instead of spreading sickness, it, it spreads love. It spreads joy. It spreads healing. It spreads mercy. It spreads forgiveness. Not the antithesis of those things. No, right? So, start small in communities like Ames. Love and mercy and healing spreading through personal relationships, our personal relationships with each other and 
probably more importantly with people who are outside the walls of this church. Literal human to human contact relationally. This is you and me rubbing shoulders, people we work with, play with, go to school with, right? If someone is lonely, we provide belonging. If someone is hurting, we provide healing. If someone is in pain, we provide comfort. If there's a need, what do we do? We just meet it. We don't say, sir, are you Jew or Samaritan? We don't say, have you sufficiently tried your hardest to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps before I give you some help? Do you have a job? We don't qualify it with anything. If there is a need, what do we do? We meet the need. That's what this is about. This is you and me trying to figure out ways. How do we connect more deeply and more intimately and on a way better level with the people who live around here and work around here, the people who literally live next door to us and in our neighborhoods? How do we better connect with businesses and schools in our community and say, we're here to help, right? Then people are touched with love and grace and healing and they get infected. And what happens to them? They start to spread it to others, spreads like a virus. And then it gains momentum and it gets bigger and keeps going, right? The spreading of love and mercy and healing happens all over the world, right? So the questions for us to, to answer moving forward, I think these are very important questions. How do we get better at connecting with Jerusalem? Like our Jerusalem is right here. Our neighborhood, city of Ames, how do we get better at connecting and serving and giving ourselves away to our surrounding community? Because once we begin to do that, I think then, then we can answer bigger questions. How do we then give ourselves, how does it spread? Then how do we connect better with Nevada and Boone and Huxley and the surrounding areas? How do we better serve, give ourselves away? It's like this outward flow Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It always has to have this outward flow. Jesus said, this is how it happens. It's an outward flow. It's like a, a river of fresh living water in a dry and parched land. How do we get better? How do we do this better? One more question and one more answer. Why should we care? Ultimately, why, why should we care? Because we're the person in the ditch, on the side of the road, wounded, bleeding to death. We're the one who needs to be rescued. And then along comes a good Samaritan, a good Samaritan named Jesus. Despised, and rejected comes to save us and bring us his love and his mercy and his healing. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said something like this. When we were still God's enemies, he sent into the world Jesus to save us. Jesus has been a neighbor to you. 
the crucified one has been a neighbor to you and to me. Have you felt his mercy in your life make your heart merciful? Has your relationship of radical love with Jesus made you into a person who loves radically and extravagantly? If so, then in your heart, you know exactly what this means. Go and do likewise. How about we go and do likewise? Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the ways that you speak to us in it and through it. And God, we, we just ask that you would do whatever it is you need to do in us. Um, to put us in the position where we actually participate in that outward flow. That outward flow of, that really is empowered by you and your spirit. Outward flow that spreads your love and your grace and your healing and your mercy. That eventually surrounds the whole world. How do we participate in that flow? Because it is the flow of the divine and we want to jump in it. So we ask, oh God, that you would do whatever it is you have to do in us as a church, as a community of Jesus people. Help us to do whatever it is we need to do to enter into that flow so that we, along with you, can begin to give ourselves away in major, major ways. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.